0: Good Monday morning. This is Dustin Hobbs with the California MBA. Welcome to Connect, our weekly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews and conversations with the mortgage industry's movers and shakers. We've got a great guest today. I'm really excited to chat with him about uh, what's going on in the industry today. Uh, but before we get into that, let's uh, uh, thank our sponsors at Accelerate. Encelerate helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement as the mortgage industry's most innovative marketing and sales engagement platform. Incelerate CRM helps lenders manage workflow, contact strategies, lead management, referral, and realtor partners and in reporting. Incelerate's engagement platform automates multi-channel marketing through social media, email, direct mail, text messages, ringless voicemail, and phone calls. It's all pre-built with strategies and content to enable better borrow engagement. Incelerate integrates with the software that's already powering your business today and into the future. In addition, the platform is SOC2 and SSAE18 certified. To satisfy the most closely regulated businesses and that includes banks with mortgage subsidiaries. So for more information or to see a demo visit incelerated.com or you can contact the company at the phone number listed in the description below. So before we jump into the conversation with our guest today I want to toss it over to Susan Malazzo our CEO for this week's update.
1: Hi this is Susan with the California MBA here with your weekly video update. This week, we're talking about the Western Secondary Market Conference and no, we can't be together in person this year, but we do have a very dynamic virtual conference platform that we are so proud to be offering you this year. We'll have some great content talking about what's happening in the capital markets, as well as some of the new challenges that 2020 has uh, has presented us. We're even working on a really fun entertainment surprise, but more on that in the coming weeks. I wanna give a big thank you to our diamond level sponsors, Arch ArchMI, Flagstar, Mr. Cooper, and Western Alliance Bank. Thank you so much for your support for this year's conference, as well as all of our conference sponsors. You can visit our brand new website, cnba.com, click on the events tab for information on how you can register for this year's event, and join us for the Western Secondary Market Conference 2020. That's it for this week, and we'll see you next time.
0: All right. Thanks, Susan. And now for our, the main uh, the main course of today's uh, conversation, uh, I'm really excited to have uh, Doug Duncan, the uh, SVP and Chief Economist at Fannie Mae, to uh, join us today for the conversation. We've known Doug for a long time here at the California MBA. He's been one of the industry's most respected voices on uh, the economy and on the mortgage industry in particular for a number of years. So I'm really excited to uh, welcome him. So thanks, to have hey. it, uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Doug.
2: Thanks, Dustin. Great to be with you again, uh, virtually at least. <laughs>
0: virtually at least, right? Um, so let's uh, let's jump right into the questions here. So I'm curious, let's uh, start at the beginning. What's what's your background? What uh, sort of led you up in the field of uh, economics? And then uh, how did you end up at Fannie Mae? I know you were at uh, MBA uh, prior, but uh, what's sort of your, uh, your path?
2: Well, I uh, grew up on a dairy farm in uh, Minnesota, and I knew I didn't want to milk cows for a living so that was a that was an incentive to do my homework. (laughs) Uh, I uh, did spend a little time in the navy when I got out when I was in the navy when the ship would be at sea I've always been a reader and for some reason I started reading Newsweek magazine and every other week there would be a column uh, by Paul Samuelson and then the other week by Milton Friedman who are two of the giants in in the industry uh economics profession and for some reason I got interested in that I had no idea there was no background to it or anything but I thought that's these two guys ultimately both Nobel prize winners uh and had very different views on how the economy worked and I thought well if there's that much room for debate I'm a Scotsman I like a good a good debate Uh, so I decided to become an economist uh, having grown up on a farm, I actually went through the agricultural economics route, which is just the application of economic principles to agriculture. Uh, and finance was the part of it that I liked the best, uh, going with my father to buy farm equipment and things like that, trying to understand all of that side of things. And uh, so I uh, went to North Dakota State for my bachelor's and master's and Texas A&M for my doctorate. And then I, I came to Washington actually to network To get more into financial services and away from the agriculture part, ended up at Mortgage Bankers Association through a couple of uh, different connections and spent 15 years there and then um, moved over to Fannie Mae in the middle of the crisis, which I think National Mortgage News did a headline said out of the frying pan into the fire. That was my move from MBA to to Fannie Mae. So I'm not sure if I was a cause or an effect, but <laughs> that's kind of how it happened.
0: Or casual PI. I've been there yeah. about uh, yeah.
2: 12 or 13 years now, so it's been it's been great.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, I, I, it's really curious. I love your 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 background, especially on the agricultural side. I mean, I can't imagine you'd run into too many fellow economists that, you know, that can point to you know background and you know, like you said, going with your your dad to go you know buy tractor parts.
2: Yeah the uh, the the value of having uh, grown up on the farm was really uh was very central in our vetting the the post 2007 to 9 period and coming up with the explanation of the problem emerging being supply and lack of supply so we were probably a couple of years ahead of the rest of the industry on that and it simply came from the fact that every spring somebody would ask my father, Charlie, are you going to have a good crop of corn this year? And his answer was always the same. If you're going to have a good crop of corn in the fall, it depends on the tractor starting in March. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very practical view of a supply chain. So after the 2007 to 9 downturn, it was such a devastating downturn on housing, We we started thinking about well, what has happened to how you build houses and walk through the process? well, first thing you have to have is a piece of land. And so we talked to land investors, are you buying land? And the answer was no. And we're like, wow, if you're not even buying land, it probably takes three years to get land into development to even start building a house. That means another three years until we really see the production process gearing up. Well, demographics are compelling. People are born and grow and that doesn't have anything to do with the housing supply chain. That's a separate factor. So we put those things together and we're like, oh my goodness, it's gonna be a real challenge to to rebuild the supply chain for housing. And if demand grows faster, you're gonna see strong price appreciation for a long
0: time period. And that's certainly what has happened interesting Oh, that's, that's uh, absolutely you talk about a practical application of that uh, that background um so let's look at some uh, macroeconomic trends right now what would you say is you know sort of the, the biggest biggest trend you're uh, you're watching right now
2: well the, the in today's world it's it's not about something economic it's about the economic effects of a disease so the the first thing that we have to know in order to be able to refine a forecast is something we, even the medical specialists don't fully know yet, which is the incidence, severity, and duration of this disease. So those three things are are what we really need to know because they're the things that are generating fear in the minds of individuals and leading them to take actions, which are which have been very hard on the economy and policymakers also seeing that and making a response. So it's driven by things that I don't have an expertise in. So we're studying what the scientists are saying and trying to understand how that's going to impact people's behavior. So for example, yesterday when I, I spoke to our board of directors, Uh, I said one of the things that I I think we want to be careful of in our language is uh, people talking about a resurgence of the virus. There's a difference between its geographic movement, which I see is what's going on right now. It's not been a resurgence. It's that it has appeared in other geographies. It previously was not prevalent. That's one thing. But if there is a resurgence, that is, it recurs again in a place where it has been tamped down, that's actually again more destructive of economic activity. So that it's a nuance, but it's an important nuance. So that's the biggest thing that we're that
0: we're trying to understand today. That makes sense. Well, so aside from uh, you know the uh, specific stuff to uh, COVID nineteen, and I guess it, you know nothing can be separated from that right now what would you say what uh, metric or uh, rate would you say that mortgage bankers should be particularly focused on right now is it unemployment rates or interest rates inflation rates something else i know mortgage rates are going to be fairly steady for a while now
2: yeah so the the first most important thing is a lesson that we learned in 2007 to 2009 which is if you're going to lend money to be repaid over a long time at fixed interest rates, it's a really good thing if the borrower has a job. So, the, uh, um, we've lost uh, roughly 30 million jobs in the last five months or so, four months. Uh, that's historically unprecedented. On a percentage basis, it's similar to the Great Depression. But we lost it all of a sudden, it just went away and um that's going to take time to rebuild now the the thing that's different this time from 2007 to 2009 is that the jobs were lost that were lost were primarily in businesses that are discretionary spending by middle and upper income households so restaurants hotels airlines uh sporting events concerts theater that almost most of that is discretionary spend by higher income households and it falls on the back of hourly wage earners primarily those hourly wage earners tend to be renters at a higher probability than homeowners so to this point actually the homeowning market has done very well relative to the rest of the economy But the pressures are building on the rental side of things because the the CARES Act and the $600 a week extra unemployment compensation runs out on the 31st of July. And that is one of the things that has helped renters stay current and also has helped support consumption from those lower income hourly wage uh, jobs. Also, the PPP is the other piece that's supportive of the the workers for small businesses, and then the access to credit uh, for small businesses to keep them alive, alive is also key. So mid-year here or in the third quarter, depending on what happens, if anything, congressionally and with the White House, we're going to get a test and it will, in our view, start on the multifamily side and the rental side of the business. Uh, but if if that, again, and if it, especially if it combines with an actual resurgence of the virus, that could lead to another shutdown and a lot more uh, difficulty that could make its way over to the single family purchase side of the market, which to this point has performed quite well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does make me curious, especially being in California here, where we're sort of locking down again, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, doing this sort of in the you know middle of summer here, you know, knowing that coming fall and winter, we're going to have flu season again, and we may lock down again, either as a nation or, you know, uh, some of these states, like you mentioned, that have already locked down and maybe even have, in a sense, gone through the worst of the virus, like New York. Right.
2: Yeah, that will be that will definitely be uh, something to watch. On the uh, and and uh, we're trying to envision how that scenario plays out. The uh, for the time being, um, we've felt pretty good about our forecast on the home purchase side of the business, um, and that's a place where our our monthly survey of households has been very helpful. So we observed initially the response to the virus was that uh, everybody was concerned um, and worried about their jobs, which was a a very valid concern. Then as it developed a little bit, we noticed that the share of people who said it was a bad time to sell was growing faster than the, the people who said it's a bad time to buy. So in other words, they were more depressed on the sell side than on the buy side. So how did we think about that? Well, if you had an existing home and were thinking about selling it, do you really want somebody that might be bringing the virus walking through your house? Or alternatively, you might think, well, if people are concerned about the virus, they're not going to be out shopping, so I'm not going to offer my house now and take a discount on the price. So the again, that old story about supply, came into play because with interest rates at historically low levels, if you were in a salaried position and say a millennial, which they are driving the demand curve, you might say, you know what? I'm ready to move out of the city, buy a suburban home, uh, get away from the dense uh, population areas and interest rates are great. So now's the time to buy. So we said, we think those two things are gonna work together to support house price. There were lots of things about house prices might fall five percent or ten percent or whatever various estimates we said we have we think it's actually the opposite we think house prices are going to strengthen the level of sales will be lower no question about that but we think in the process supply will fall faster than demand so price will actually increase and that's exactly what has happened so you know the three rules of forecasting if you're going to give a number don't give a date and if you're going to give a date don't give a number If you get it right, don't look surprised, right? So we we got this one right, so we're not looking surprised. (laughs) But our expectation for prices going forward, to, to your point about what happens next and what to watch, if there is this downturn, this second downturn in growth, then we expect house prices to flatten out. Not to fall precipitously, but to flatten out.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So let's look at, switch gears a little bit here. I'm curious what your thought is on the current state of uh, forbearance and how that's impacting the, you know, the economy and the housing market in particular.
2: Well, it's been interesting to watch. There's, uh, I think, somewhere between eight and nine percent of mortgage holders now that have uh, requested forbearance there actually were a number of people who took forbearance initially and have repaid it or brought themselves current and dropped the program. Those folks, we think it was probably an early precautionary move on their part because it was uh, simple to do. Uh, And if you thought there was some risk you did not understand, but you thought there was some risk that might truncate your income or you might lose your job, better to take the precautionary move today and then watch what's gonna happen. And when it becomes clear that you're not really at risk as you thought you were, then you become current again. So that has happened. But I believe that the share of people who are making payments on time uh, while in forbearance is actually falling. So there is some view that, um, and the possibility is that if we see this second way but when I'm saying second wave, I meaning we're not renewing the $600 a week extra unemployment. Some of the PPP doesn't work. People get laid off. We may see some of this roll into extended forbearances, and then ultimately into different kinds of modifications. So it's uh, it's a work in progress. We've never had this type of a forbearance uh, legislated and with the simplicity that's uh, intended for the execution. But I think people uh in general, and I would I would say have been a little surprised that the the there hasn't been the a higher level of take up uh to this point than there has been.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well and I'm I'm curious, sort of following up on you uh, referenced that the uh um the um extended unemployment benefits that run out at the end of the month and and the other benefits and uh, relief that uh governments initiated that sort of ends this month here do you see not getting into you know the politics of you know whether or not it should be done or should not be done how much of an impact do you see that having on the housing market and the economy in general whether or not it goes you know uh, it gets extended again or just not
2: well there's two things to think about one is um if, if it is not extended then what kinds of consumption are reduced because it's clearly supporting both uh, consumption and debt reduction there's been a big drop in credit card rollovers it's clear that some households took the one-time stimulus payment and paid down credit cards so they're people are shoring up their balance sheet that's a good thing but uh it also means they're not consuming which means demand for goods and services at businesses is lower which leads to the possibility that they might lay off more people so there's that there's uh that side of of the uh of the equation to look at <clears throat> it's also the case that if that happens then that could bleed over to laying off salaried people and that would push uh some more people into the forbearance side of things so it's It's a dynamic process um, and uh, whether, if if there is additional support, say, uh, for example, there's some discussion about two things that I'm I'm aware of. One is that not all the second increment of PPP funds were used. There's still a significant dollar volume outstanding. There's a discussion of how to redeploy that. And the second one is how to extend the unemployment insurance benefits without changing the incentive to work. So, for example, the National Bureau of Economic Research and the University of Chicago put out a study a couple of days ago that showed that in some of these job categories that we were talking about earlier, the unemployment benefit uh, for is greater than the income they had previously for 68% of those households, um, and uh, f- and for example, in the lowest uh, quintile of that uh, of that job group, um, the uh, benefit was double what they were making previously. So the policymakers don't want to not to incent people not to go back to work. And I've actually talked to two or three small businesses here in the Cape Coral Florida market where we live. And they've said that is has been a problem for them is recruiting people back because they're making more money on unemployment than they were when they were working. Sure. So those are some of the things that, that are gonna be worked through uh, uh, and some of the implications whether there is or is not an extension.
0: Sure, that makes sense. so back to the the uh, housing market specifically um, I mean obviously interest rate mortgage rates I should say are you know extremely low and have been low for a while and you know, it seems like they're forecasted to be low for you know quite a while now. Um, how long though do you see the current refi boom that I mean every lender I've talked to in the past couple of months I mean they're having a great year, and it's a lot of it is due to refinance activity obviously. Um so how much further do you see that uh that going knowing that you know obviously the like you mentioned the uh, demand on the purchase side has been reduced to say the least and refi has been sort of uh, you know picking up the slack uh in the market right now
2: Yeah we we've, we've taken a look at outstanding mortgages and it looks to us like about 60% of all the outstanding mortgages have a one half a percentage point or 50 basis point uh, uh, incentive range to refinance. So that's a, that's a big number. Yeah. Uh, so our our forecast is that this year in 2020 we will see about 1.9 trillion dollars of refinancing alone, wow. and close to 1.3 trillion dollars of purchases. Now that will that will run off. Uh, Going into next year, um, um, if you look at mortgage rates and the spreads of mortgage rates over the 10-year treasury, which is the typical way that we think about mortgages, if you go back to uh, April, that spread was about 263 basis points. It's now about 245 basis points, so it's dropped 20 basis points. That spread has narrowed, which has meant that... Since the 10-year treasury has stayed pretty constant, the mortgage rate has come down. I think the most recent weekly measurement from Freddie Mac was it was right at about 3% for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. But the 2019 spread average was about 180 basis points. So our expectation is that mortgage rates will still come down further as uh, uh, mortgage companies work through the uh, The volume of refinancing uh, demand that's out
0: there, Gotcha. So last question I've got for you. Obviously, this was kind of a, you know big news in the GSC circles and the mortgage circles prior to everything COVID. Um, and uh, it seems like in some ways, it's sort of gone on the back burner, I think, in a lot of people's minds. But um, you know not getting into again the, the politics of how it should happen or when, why, all that. But uh what are the steps needed uh, uh for those maybe that aren't familiar with the process that needs to happen or or the uh the steps along the way, what's needed for Fannie Mae to exit conservatorship? Because that seems like that's the direction everything is going. But you know, maybe if we weren't completely aware of how that's gonna happen, maybe you can give us the the how.
2: Well, the, the administration has been very clear that that's an objective of theirs, is to uh release the GSEs from conservatorship in a safe and sound manner. Manner and privately capitalized, so that's that still uh, remains their objective. One of the first things that has to happen uh, for that to occur is there has to be a final capital rule uh, issued, and that's that's uh, forthcoming. Um, probably, I don't know exactly. FHFA uh, is really in control of when when that actually happens, but. Um, the reason that is a precursor to raising equity capital is that investors would have to have a basis to figure out what the return on capital will be uh, in a private Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And so the the regulatory rules uh, that, re, that say how much capital is required for the companies based on the business that they're anticipating to do, is a first and probably the most important key to to uh, making that happen then of course the treasury owns 79 uh, percent of the preferred stock so there has to be a plan for uh, for how that is uh, managed if as the companies go private so there, there's a whole series of steps but really the first most important step is this capital rule
0: Gotcha. Well, hey, Doug, really appreciate the conversation today. I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, you know, my, my head is kind of full of uh, data points now and, and uh, information and, and uh, you know, uh, pointing me towards uh, some news and some uh, um, information we need to be all keeping our eye on. And so I really appreciate the, uh, the talk, the conversation. And uh, hopefully we'll see you here at a, uh, a conference or an event, uh, maybe in person next year at some point. And uh, we'll uh, really enjoy hearing you from you again about uh, the state of the industry.
2: Well, that's great. Great to be with you, and uh, yeah, I too look forward to uh, a return to where we can uh, be with people uh, without fear, uh, because it is where I think we're designed to be with people. So uh, I look forward to to that day.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Well, if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure and subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel here. You can also uh, listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, SoundCloud. And uh, we'll be back again next Monday morning for another episode of Connect. And we'll see you then.